Chippewa Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we hope you join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30. We are located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After the message, take a moment and visit our website at vcctulare.com. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to be in the book of John this morning. First one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So we made it past, you know, the first five verses without stopping. I think last week we stayed right there on that one verse that, you know, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. But, but we'll continue on this week, and it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, I want you to understand the Apostle John here, you would think that, that, you know, because he's the writer of this book, he would be talking about himself here. But he's not. He's talking about John the Baptist. And, and he begins to reveal the ministry of John the Baptist, the one that came before Christ, to reveal who uh, the chosen one was, the anointed one. And uh, he, so here he's talking about John the Baptist. Verse 7, it says, This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. And you're going to start listening for key words here. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Did you get the key word there? I hope you did. John came as a witness. And the word for witness is, you know, it's maturo, which where we get the word martyr from. You know, telling the truth sometimes, you can pay the ultimate price. And many of these disciples did. Many of the believers, many of the people that followed the Lord. And, and we talked last week about how they're even today in different countries that they're still giving their life for being a witness. Still, be, you know, going out there and telling the world about the light. And they're being, try, you know, somebody's trying to flip off their switch. You know, trying to turn off the energy going to them. And literally, unfortunately, sometimes killing them. But we also learned last week, as we looked at, at the conversion of Saul into Paul, that the Lord can use tragedy. The Lord can use something that we look at and say, oh man, that, that's, just, oh, that's just terrible. It breaks my heart. But the Lord turned around and used somebody dying for him as part of the salvation for another. So it's a really cool concept uh, in a sense of the Lord allowing us to be a witness for him. And, you know, which, which means that we sometimes pay the ultimate price. And John the Baptist did. Uh, many later, as the Apostle John was, was writing about this, he says, you know, stuff about John the Baptist, but he would have known that, that he would have paid the ultimate price for this, as many of the other disciples did. Verse 7, it says, This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light. But he was sent to bear witness of that light that, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now one of the cool things that John does is he uses one key word after another. And he gives us one name for Christ after another name for Christ. And some of, the, some of you have started that list in your Bible. Every time John calls Jesus, the Christ, the chosen one, a new name, you write it down there. And, and it says here, and he gives Christ another name here as light. So John now writes his book, probably during a time 
that uh, he kind of relaxed a little bit. He was on the island of Patmos, but I couldn't imagine him relaxing that much. Uh, that much. He was a very busy man in his life. You know, he, he pastored a large church in Ephesus for a while. And he was known as the disciple of love. And he would have been like traveling and guest speaking uh, all over the place. Uh, think of modern day Billy Graham in a sense. Uh, back during that time, he would have traveled to all the churches in Ephesus. That's why in Revelation, he wrote the books to all those churches because he'd been there. He knew those people. And John was, you know, in the middle of all these Greek-speaking believers in a land that, that we now call Turkey, but back then it was called Asia Minor. And, uh, and you know, the Romans were watching John. They were watching, you know, these so-called Christians, these guys that were worshiping, uh, you know, the way, as they called it back then. And they would notice at the end of these assemblies that they would get together, that they would say, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And they wouldn't say, Caesar was our king. They wouldn't say, we worship Caesar. So the Roman government started persecuting these guys, and, and persecution was ram, uh, you know, rampant at that time. But John, you know, he, he talks as the light himself, one who is not going to be extinguished. And that light comes from Jesus. And you can imagine the oil lamps burning at nighttime as John sits down and, and he's, he's writing what the Spirit is revealing to him, not knowing that this is actually going to be Scripture one day. Maybe the Lord revealed that to him. I don't know. But you could imagine the, the flickering light and he would just start writing. And this is the neat thing about the Lord. is As Jesus walked along, he would pick up kernels of wheat as they went through the wheat field. And, and he would say, take this kernel or take this wheat field or, or take this mustard seed. He would use the things that they were actually seeing around the place to teach them about himself and to teach them about the Lord. So John, I could imagine, learning from that is doing the same thing. He's looking to light and he says, you know what? I know a light, a light that can't be extinguished. So we start thinking about all the qualities of light. And we begin to understand our Savior even more. Because it doesn't say that Jesus brings the light. It doesn't say that Jesus sheds the light. It says that Jesus is the light. So God, by His very nature, is light. And the universe, being, you know, being substance or form, needed that light. So God gave it light. He gave us the sun by day and the stars and the moons by night. And just like with the sunlight, you know, you, it, it's good to be out in the sun. You feel better when you go out in the sun. You get your vitamin D. Okay, well, well, you know, we've been, you know, it's been into our head that you have to drink the milk to get the vitamin D. But you can go out in the sun and get the same vitamin D. It's good to be in the light. This is like our relationship with Jesus Christ. The more we're in that light, the more we feel better. The more we're around that, the, you know, we're in His presence. But there are some times that it doesn't feel better. This is those times when, when, when you have great relationship with the Lord and you keep going with the Lord and you're having a wonderful time and you're just worshiping the Lord and you're just praying with the Lord and you're talking with Him and you're having, spending your day with Him. And He goes, hey, by the way, there's some light over here. I, I'm going to shine it right on this part of your life because you need to change something in this part of your life. And you're like, no, 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 we're having such a great time, Lord. Why do you have to go and, and mess it up? And the Lord's like, no, 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 we're having a great time. That's why I'm telling you this. That's why we're building this relationship. So I can mold you into me. So I can take parts of you that don't look like me, parts of you that, that the world says looks good, but that God may say, you know what? That part right there doesn't reflect who I am and the nature that I want to have in your life. And he says, I'm glad you are with me today because I need to shine that light into that part of your life. 
You see, light reveals how things really are, not how we want them to be. That's why as we get older and have more and more anniversaries with our mates, we like candlelight as we get older. (laughs) Honey, do we have any candles? And Jesus is so gracious to us. He usually lets the light in slowly. I mean, John the Baptist was the opposite. John the Baptist, like, busted into the room with the torch and going, Sin, it's right there! But Jesus, man, he comes in with grace and he's like, You know, there's something I've been needing to talk with you about, Alan. This part of your life? And he slowly does it so I don't run away from him. But John the Baptist, he's so different. It's like a full-on blast all at once. And having light is so important, especially if it's really a dark place. My wife and I, uh, we owned a home, or we rented a home up in the Bay Area at, at one point, and, and it, it was on Mulberry Street, and I just love that name. You know, we wanted to buy that house just because it was Mulberry Street. But, uh, but I was downstairs, and I turned off the light, and it was pitch dark. I, you know, my wife was already sleeping. I stayed up watching TV, and, and uh, so I'm thinking, well, I know my house. I don't need the light on to make it upstairs. I know where the stairs are. I know where, you know. So I thought, okay, you know, I'll just, I'll walk through the house. But I'm not that big of an idiot, okay? So I stick my hand out in front of me, and I start walking through my house. I'm thinking, okay, I'm very confident, so I'm just walking through like normal. Well, the problem was the wall... Missed my hand by mere millimeters, okay? And I ran smack right into that wall so hard. I mean, I fell right down on the ground. My wife comes running from upstairs. What happened? What happened? I'm like, the wall got in my way. Couldn't believe the wall just jumped right. Light is so important. In almost any dark situation, you can see how light is a good thing. And Jesus is the same way for our life. And then you get the warmth of the light. We could go a whole nother direction on this about how light really warms us and, and how that is so good for us. But John the Baptist came to reveal that light to our world, the true light. And we talked about how John came with a torch, you know, not like a little candle, you know, not like the night lights that we put on. It's like, you know, the thousand watt beam that he comes out with. And he reveals those things in our life that could be changed to reflect who he is. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him. So you have the Creator entering his creation. The Creator making himself part of his own invention. And, and you know, this is, you, you got a shepherd turning himself into one of the sheep. Now, this is, this is impossible. You couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. But Christ can, and God can. And now, I love kids. They're a blast. They're so innocent. They do some of the funniest things, and they say some of the funniest things. I think I'm going to start carrying a, a tape recorder with me and just turning it on all the time and catch them. And that way, later on, when, I, you know, when I'm able to do their weddings, I can say, you know what you said? You know, those great and wonderful things. But they have no fear about what they say, and they're so carefree. Now, wouldn't it be difficult for you with all your knowledge to turn back into a child today? I mean, if you were able to, if you had that power, which we don't. But, you know, it kind of reminds me of the movie Big. You know, taking all that knowledge and all of a sudden you're a little kid again. We can't do that. And it would be very difficult with that knowledge to 
act like a kid, to be a kid. Because we'd be going around going, oh, no, no, you don't want to do that. Your parents are going to be really a bit mad. You don't want them, you know, spanking you over that one. You know, I mean, you can't do that. Now take a shepherd, turning, turning himself into the lamb. You know, you hear the, the teaching that we're sheep and how dumb sheep are and all those things. In some ways, I understand that. We can be pretty uh, interesting in our decision-making processes sometimes. But it doesn't sound like the Lord to me. The Lord doesn't call us dumb. He doesn't call us idiots. He doesn't call us, man, you're stupid sheep. Come on. The Lord says, I loved you so much, I turned myself into one of those just for you today. He wanted to be one of us so he could understand us completely. He was in the world, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They didn't know him. They didn't get it. Jesus of Nazareth was not the one that they were looking for, they would say. What is, it, what is amazing to me is there's over 300 Old Testament prophecies that link Jesus to being the Messiah, to being the chosen one, to being the, the anointed one. He proved it through his words. He proved it through his actions. He proved it through his whole life. The way he came, the place he was born at, you know, little things that happened all his life were confirmed over and over by his scriptures. None of his bones were broken. He was buried among rich people in a rich man's tomb. It just goes on and on and on, over 300 prophecies. And yet their eyes were blinded. They could not believe. They couldn't see it. They would say, well, you know, our Messiah is supposed to be from Bethlehem and you're from Nazareth. I mean, what, you know, what prophet can come from Nazareth? They forgot about Jonah, that Jonah came from that area. Is he from Bethlehem? Yeah, he was born there. But they get so technical. Well, you weren't raised there, but, you know, our Messiah is supposed to be... No, no, it's it's the Scriptures that he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That's what happened. He meets that criteria. They were blinded. Out of Bethlehem was the one. And they got it in their heads that it could only mean one thing, and they completely missed him. And they would say, you know what? We could kill you for talking like that. We could kill you for calling yourself the Messiah. And guess what? They did. It didn't last, but they did. Because he raised himself from the dead. But you can imagine the marketing people getting a hold of Jesus here. Okay, Jesus, I mean, you have to be a little more clear here. Because these parable things, I mean, even the other disciples aren't getting it. So, I mean, you've got to be a little more clear here. And the disciples are like, yeah, yeah, we, we don't know what you're saying either. Because, you know, he, he came like he chose to come. He came to reveal himself to those who, who would accept him. So that children and seekers could find him. And the stubborn and the religious people, they wouldn't see him. They wouldn't get it. They wouldn't understand it. They would go right past him. And they would feel good about it. They really would. He was in this world, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and he did not receive, and his own did not receive him. Now, if you're interested in the original languages, I really am. You would want to know that John is a Jewish follower of Christ from the region of Galilee. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was probably an original follower of John the Baptist at the time. 
And then he, you know, when Christ came along and John said, yes, that is the anointed one, that is the chosen one, and he he started following Christ. But the last two-thirds of his life, he spent around non-Jews. He spent around the Greek-speaking people from the Roman Empire. And he was not even in Israel, he was in Turkey, you know, in the Asia Minor. But John's close friends would not have been Jewish. Not that, you know, that he he rejected being Jewish, nothing like that. But, but he revealed the light to the world in non-Jewish areas. It was just the majority of his friends in 90 AD were not Jews. The Logos. And we talked about this word a couple of weeks ago. He would use Greek concepts and, and Greek thoughts, or Roman thought patterns and forth, so forth to reveal the light. And he called Jesus Logos. And they would understand that. It would click with the Jews. And they were becoming Christians so fast. And they became John's friends. And he wrote back to them. And, and you'll see me explain some things ever so often, like the word anointed one. And, and John was saying, you know what, guys? I need to explain this whole anointed concept to you because you, you don't get it because you weren't Jews. You, you didn't study the Scriptures. You didn't grow up like me. So let me explain it to you. And, and he would say, okay, now in parentheses, you know, this would really mean the Messiah when he would say anointed one. So he would do all those teachings because, you know, they would have not known that. So John takes his Greek words and, and, and you know, that we really have to look at to understand in, in 2009. And one of those words is receive and the other is to know. He was in the world and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him all right the word receive is the word labano and and listen to what it means receive means this to choose whom to associate with to choose who you're going to be around receive is is what a bride and a groom does i choose to associate with you i choose to spend my life with you i choose to build this relationship with you Receive is, is, you know, not just like a receiving line at the end of the, you know, the wedding and the reception, the receiving line. It's not like that. Receive is like this. I take you to myself. So when the scriptures talk about Joseph and Mary in the, in the gospel, it means that Joseph received Mary into his life. And you might remember he had to be convinced of that. An angel had to come and say, you know what, Joseph, it's okay. She didn't go off and, and do something she shouldn't have. She's been blessed by the Lord. So go receive her. This is what the word means. And the other word is to know. And that word in, in Greek is, is for, you know, experiential or intimate knowledge. To know, to be around, to understand completely because you've experienced it. You have that intimate time, that knowledge. It is not just to know something in your head. Okay, well, I got it, you know. It's not just to... It, it, really, it's to know that you know. And it's a beautiful thing when you know that you know. It's when your brain and your heart are working together and going down the same path. It's like a marriage. Now, I know my wife loves me. But there are times in my head that I'm saying, right now, during the middle of this disagreement, she doesn't like me very much because of what I'm saying or how I'm acting. But I know that she loves me. My heart says, I know that she loves me. And this is how marriages stay together. It's true receiving of one another. You know, an intimate knowledge of each other. 
you know, of saying that I choose to associate with you and I know that no matter what happens in us, through us, around us, that we choose to love each other. Now that is a marriage. I'm not saying we've got a perfect marriage. I mean, I'm human, she's human, and we, we have a marriage just like everybody else has a marriage. We try, <laughs> try, when we have difficulties, to handle it in the way that the Lord would want us to handle things. Just like you should if you follow Christ. Now, it's sad when your brain and your heart don't really lead together. And your heart says one thing and a brain says another thing and later on you realize what you did or what you said. Or you lead with your heart and you leave out your brain and you get in the middle of a situation you really shouldn't be in because your heart just said, ah, oh, I feel, oh, I got to do something. And your brain's sitting there going, no, no, danger area. Don't do that. Don't go there. You get yourself in trouble when you start doing that kind of stuff. But when these two really start to work together, you're doing what the Bible calls knowing to know. I just know it. How? I, I don't know. I just know it. To receive and to know. Now, some of you may be tracking on this. And, you know, these two words, it also describes an engagement ceremony during the first century. So, so, so John grabs a first century, you know, marriage concept and the first century words and the first century uses for these words and says, you know what? To know and to receive. They didn't get it. They didn't receive Christ. They didn't know him. They didn't marry the two together. He was in the world and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So Jesus here is saying that, you know, you got to indulge me a little bit, but, but he's, you know, his purpose in this is, is saying is, he is the groom, and he wants to be our groom. Will you receive me? Will you know me? And this answers the question, uh, uh, th- this question a lot of people have. Does God force people to follow him? Absolutely not. He might set up the situation that you can see clearly, that you have to make a choice, but He doesn't force you. No force is involved because His perfect love, you know, requires a return of love. His perfect love says, you know, I, I gotta give you room to make this decision yourself. Could you imagine if, you know, when my wife and I got engaged, it was our third year, you know, anniversary and, and the next week I had to go like, to, to youth camp where we were having like 1,200 high schoolers coming to camp. And, you know, it was just going to be a crazy time. So I took the weekend on our third year anniversary. A, a friend of mine and, and I, uh, you know, another couple, we went to, to uh, Wimberley, Texas. And it was a nice kind of retirement community. His parents had a house there. And uh, I set it up with him. And, and Daryl, there, there was called Mount Baldy. I mean, you know, we called them mountains in Texas. And now I understand they're just hills. <laughs> But, you know, up on top of Mount Baldy, I had him put out a blanket and, you know, a nice little dessert because it was late at night. And, and because literally on our anniversary, I had to go. So I did it after midnight because I had, you know, had to get it on the, you know, the first. I had to, you know, because that was our anniversary. So, you know, up there on top of the hill, you had a little music going, you know, really nice time and stuff. So I like had to convince my wife. Usually she's like, yeah, you know, anytime I go, oh, let's go for a walk. She'd be like, okay. And I'm like, let's go for a walk. She's like, no, I'm tired. I'm like, no, 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 let's, no, it'd be fun. The stars are out. It's, it's nice. It's a nice weekend. No, no, I'm really tired. So I like, I had to drag her out of the house. So then we finally get up to 220 some odd steps to Mount Baldy. And uh, yeah, I totally, mountain, I know. Um, 
And we get up there, and she's like, she hears the music and stuff. She's like, oh, somebody's up here. We need to leave. (laughs) Come on. But you could imagine in the middle of all this that if I were to pull out a ring and a gun at the same time and say, now I have a question for you, and the answer is going to be yes. Now, no matter how much my first youth ministry tried to convince me that I had to do something like that to get this wonderful woman to marry a guy like me. You know, they couldn't understand that concept. But how ridiculous would that be? See, the Lord's the same way. The Lord doesn't put a gun to our head and say, I have all this love, I have all this grace, I have all this truth that I want to reveal to you. Now you're going to accept it. Click, click. He doesn't do it that way. How ridiculous would that be? The Lord uses these same words. He wants us to receive Him and to know Him. He allows us to reject Him. Oh, to reject Him. Mm, That just breaks the heart. He allows us to. And how foolish that would be when we truly start to recognize who He is and what He means to our life. How foolish that would be. That would be as crazy as Lisa not wanting to marry me. So anyway, verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So, if you received Him, if you've chose Him, if He took you know, if you took him as, as yours, as, if you believe in his name, if you've said yes to him, he hands you not an engagement ring, he hands you the right to become a child of God. This is an, incredi- an incredible bargain. You hand him the mess of your life. And I, you know, I understand that. The mess of your life, you hand it to him. The warranties are all voided. I mean, you've broken the seal that you're not supposed to break, you know. The package is open and unreturnable. You hand the, the, the mess of your life that is really irreparable. And what does he hand you back? He hands you back the right to become a child of God. This is an amazing trade. The price has already been paid. And he hands you that right to become a child of God. Now, what would it look like to be born into that type of family? What type of right does a child have when they're born into the family? The right to call dad, I mean, the right to call God, as the Apostle Paul says, or the Apostle John says, Daddy, Abba, Daddy. The right to call Father, Father God. We who know He is the Almighty Creator. I mean the big guy, the big one, the only God. Then to say, I'm in your family and I get to call you Daddy? Now some people and you know, have had a hard time saying real prayers because they've gone, uh, grown up in, in religious prayers and, you know, and memorized prayers. And it's good to teach children memorized prayers because it teaches them how to pray and so forth, how to approach, approach the Lord. Those things aren't bad, but does it come from our heart when we get older? Or is it just something we do? Not bad, just shallow. It means that we haven't learned how to communicate with our daddy. 
When I call my dad up on the phone, as I did this last week, we're fixing to go fishing in Canada and going to have a great time at that and stuff. But, you know, I always call him up and I go, hey, dad. And he knows that it's one of his sons. Now, it may take a couple sentences to figure out, oh, this is Alan and not Randy Kelly or Josh. But he, but he gets it, you know, pretty quick. Now, wouldn't it be weird if I could, hey, dad, and he says hi back. Then I say, my most gracious father, I call you this day. I mean, that would be pretty weird. But that's how we've portrayed that we have to talk to our father in heaven. Because, yes, I understand respect. You know, I understand that. But at the same time, he's given us that right to call daddy, daddy. I mean, my dad, I understood respect with my dad. If I didn't respect him, he let me know. A little whack upside the, you know, the head. You're not respecting me right now, Alan, and you're going to. You know, I understand that. Teaching your kids to respect. But at the same time, he allowed me to call him daddy. We've taken our religious institutions and we've made them into to a high church where we, you have to do it this way out of respect. And it's just like, yeah, but we're forgetting the emotion part of connecting with our father. When we run to him and go, Daddy! And just wrap around his leg. Because we can't reach the top yet, so you just attach the leg and Dad's walking around going... You know what I'm talking about? You've all done it. You've seen it. We have to start becoming real in our relationship with the Lord. We have to. Not because of the words that come out of our mouth. He just wants words to come out of our mouth. He just wants us to communicate with Him. He wants us to have a relationship with Him. Verse 12, it says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born, not of blood, nor of will of of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Now Jesus is going to say in John 3, He's going to say that that it's not God's will that any should perish. Zero, none, no. Because perish means to be separated from the will of God. It is not God's will for anyone to perish. So you can't sit there and say, well, I wonder if it's God's will for me to be saved. I wonder if I'm predestined. It is His will for you to be saved. It is. But Pastor Allen, you know, God is God. You know, doesn't He make the choice? Well, yeah, He does. He chooses everybody. He presents the gift to everybody. And then you have the chance to either reject that gift or accept that gift. So, you know, you can get people together and predestine, not predestined, and just fight and argue all about it. I'll let the scholars do that. I know one thing. God wants you to be part of His family. God wants you to be a part of His life. He chooses everyone. And then we have the choice to either reject Him or accept Him. And I guarantee one thing. I know... Sometimes it's fear that prevents us from accepting the Lord. Sometimes it's our friends. What are they going to think? What is my family going to think? What, what's going to, I, I just, I, you know, how's my life going to change? It's all these things that, that keep us from the Lord. I know one thing. You will not regret accepting the Lord. And if you accept the Lord and you do regret it, then, then blame it on me. But I tell you one thing. You'll be with heaven. You'll be in heaven with me. And that'll be a wonderful thing because we'll be side by side praising the Lord. It's not God's will for us to perish. It's God's will for you to choose Him and to know Him. And what amazes me is this, is after He wines and dines us, treats us very special, He sets up a a situation for us to respond to Him. It is God's will for you to be saved. And the stuff that He's saving you from, you really would be an idiot 
to say, no, I really like this stuff. Because we call it fun when it's really destroying us. The sin that destroys us in this world. And my prayer for you today is if you choose not to receive Christ, that if you tell him no, if you sit there and go, I'm not quite sure that he would make you miserable until you did. That he really would. The stuff that you would hold on to and think that is fun, that that would just turn to to dust in front of you. It would just make you miserable. That all of a sudden that stuff that you thought made you happy all of a sudden doesn't make you happy. I would pray that, that you would start to realize He is the Creator and He loves you. That all of a sudden you would say, there is no life outside of the life of following the Creator. There is no fun outside of this reality. Verse 11, it says, He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, that is us. He gave us the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born of Him, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And Jesus uses the exact same words to Nicodemus when He tells him, you must be born again, you must accept, you must make a choice. And we are totally changed. Not slightly changed, totally changed. We're talking real change. It may take some time. But you know, it's like newborn babies. That's why they're called new believers. That's when, when a person accepts the Lord, we call them a, you know, a baby Christian or a new believer. It's because they're, in a sense, being born again. They're born into the family. Well, let's, let's try one more verse, and that'll be it. I don't want to go too long today. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now you could probably, if you, if you read this verse, you can see why we're not going to get much further today. The Word became flesh. So logos, which is the Word, becomes sarks, which is Greek for the flesh. So God becomes human. I wonder what it was like for God the Creator of everything, to have skin and to realize it for the first time. I mean, I, I just that's where my mind goes. So, I mean, that's why I get lost during the week, you know? What are some human qualities that aren't God-like? We can only be at one place at one time, even though our boss or our spouse wants us to be in like three dozen places at one time. You can only work on really one thing at a time, you know, unless you're a woman and then you can multitask, you know. But he took on flesh. He now experiences pain and hunger and needing to sleep. He experienced everything that you've experienced in your life. He was tempted in all ways. And he was like us, yet without sin. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 14 says. And the word dwelt means He pitched His tent in our neighborhood. That's literally what the word means. He pitched His tent in our neighborhood. It's a wilderness word. That means in our wilderness, (laughs) He pitched His tent. He moved into our neighborhood. The psalmist writes about this and says, He encamped all around me. He pitched a bunch of tents around me. And what it means is is that Jesus moved into our existence. 
He moved into to where we really lived in our neighborhood and what was going on in our life. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. We beheld, the Word is, is um, um, Theo uh, Ramey, and I knew I was going to mess that up. Theo Ramey, or a theory, like a theory. That's where we get the words theater and the word theater and, and theory from. John is saying that, you know, we're in the middle of a three and a half year experiment. Is, you know, I've been around this leader, this, around this, this teacher, this experimental theater in a sense. He didn't just, you know, show up and, and calm the storm. We were in the middle of the storm when he calmed it. He didn't just show up and cast out a demon. He taught us how to cast out that demon. We experienced him. We knew him. He let us help. He didn't just show us how to feed 5,000. He, he handed us the, the fish and the bread and said, okay, you got that 12,000 over there. You got that 20,000 over there. Now go and do. I mean, it wasn't just a thing where he just said, okay, now watch me, guys. Jesus wants to live and experience life with you. He wants you to experience Him. He wants you to be active in, in, in His life and He's active in your life. Then He can teach you His ways. Teach you how He does these things. He would say we were in the middle of it and we participated in it. We beheld His glory. And it was all around us. Now, another aspect of this is they theorized who Jesus was when he wasn't around. Sometimes right in front of them when he said, who, do you, who, who does man say I am? I could imagine them sitting around, okay, well, okay, what do you guys think? I mean, what we just saw, I mean, I know what I think, but what do you think? Oh, okay, Peter, <laughs> we know what you think. You've said it 15 times. Let Nathaniel talk now. Who could this be? We theorized about who he was. Who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Who could this be after he raised the little girl from the dead? Everyone laughed and said, she's dead. What are you thinking? Come on. We've, we've, we've paid the, the people to come mourn, the wailers. They're out there crying. I mean, come on. I mean, John would even say, uh, I even laughed at that one. I mean, Lord, she's dead, you know. No, she's just sleeping now. Everybody leave the room. And he raised her from the dead. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. The word begotten is a, is a word that means Janessa. And false religions have taken this word and, and said that Jesus was born, because they've taken this of, you know, he's born of a God and, and God's wife. And, and, but this is not what this word means. Don't go off on stuff like this. In fact, take the word itself. You know, it's monogenesis, the word begotten. I'm sorry, I left off mono. But mono means one. And genesa means arriving or appearing on the scene. The one who arrives or appears on the scene. The only God who arrives on the scene. We beheld the glory of the only God arriving and appearing before us, full of grace and of truth. Full of grace and truth. Full means permeated or saturated. Grace is, is karas, which means undeserved favor. And truth is olithia, which means objectivity or, or reality and freedom from suspicion. Jesus is full of two things, John says. He's full of grace and truth. He's full of long after when we would have called down the fire from heaven to burn up those people that, that just dissed Christ, that, that, that didn't accept Him, that totally rejected Him. We would have, you know, and the disciples did this. Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them all up? 
He's full of grace. And just right when we're ready to follow grace, all the time He shows up with truth. And it hits us right between the eyes. Now, He's not full of 100% truth in the sense of, man, all He is is truth all the time because we would run from Him. We'd be like, dude, relax a little bit. You know, I, I need a little grace here. And He's not just full of grace. You know, if He was full of truth, we'd just have another John the Baptist on our hands. But He's full of grace. This is, you know, full of grace is like having grandma, you know? Oh, come here. You just need another little cookie. When what you need is kind of a little, you know, a little swat or something. But grandma's giving you another cookie. That's grace. But Jesus is the perfect combination of truth and grace. And completely saturated with that. And John is going to go on to tell the story. And the story is about how Jesus filled John with grace and truth. And that He wants that same thing for you. He wants to fill you with that grace and truth. Now, there are some of us that are more full of truth. Do you know who you are? You can raise your... No, okay, don't raise your hand. Other people could probably say, that person's more full of truth. But the people out there full of grace would go, oh, no, I could, I could never point somebody out. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is a perfect combination of both. And when you start getting closer to Jesus, no matter if you're the grace guy or you're the truth guy, no matter which guy you are or woman you are or child you are, what comes out of our mouth is the love of Jesus that is full of both. Let's pray. Jesus, Abba, Father, Daddy, only You know who's here today that doesn't know You. I pray that You impress upon their heart a desire to, to stand up and just say, You're my God, You're my King. To stand up in their marriage, to stand up in their life, and stand up in how they raise their children. To say, I need that light in my life. I need this grace in my life that even when I mess up, still loves me no matter how bad it is. I need the truth in my life to point out those things that I need to change. Only you know who they are, Lord. And I pray that you just you make them miserable until they realize who you are. Are you you full? Are you you bring their life full of just so much grace and truth that they have no choice but to look at you and say, "You are my God. You are my King. You are my Father." You are my Creator. Lord, I pray for those that have known You for a long time. That they would learn that You were Daddy. That they would learn that they can run and jump and just grab onto that leg of Yours. That You're not going to swat us away. That You want respect, but You want a relationship. I thank You for coming down and becoming a sheep. I, I thank You for coming down and becoming human. Because You have changed my life so much my imperfect life because I did not deserve you yet you gave yourself you allowed me to become a part of your family and I thank you for that Lord now the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord's face shine down upon you that he shed light into your world into those dark places not out of spite not out of anger but out of love saying if you get that out of your life It'll go so much easier for you. May His face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.